0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. I'm glad you're here today. Um, I was just sitting there thinking before I came up, man, I, I love the Word. Don't you guys love the Word? Like, I mean, I get in the Word and I'm like, yeah, come on, I, I, I get in it and I'm just like, I cannot believe how it changes me and shapes me and and man I've been teaching the word for just for decades now and it just I still like I don't know who it was that said this but somebody famous um, and important a long long time ago that the word of God um, is shallow enough for the infant to wade in but deep enough that the most intellectual uh, person on the planet can never touch the bottom. And it is, man. Like you just, it's just layer after layer, just more and more truth. And, and I've en- enjoyed so much. We've been talking about loving life and having a, a great, like the, the series is love life. And, and how do you love life? And how do you have it, even great love life, if you will? Well, it starts with you got to be able to love life. And the people around you, the more people that you have around you that are loving life, the greater um, the, the, that you come together, even as we think in terms of the body, um, the more we love life, the, the greater impact we have on the, the world in which we live. As so we've been unpacking First um, John and learning that John is correcting a lot of false teaching and that people in the church, they were second generation Christians, and they were growing up, and they were confused, and they were off track because there was this false teaching that was happening all around them. And there were false teachers in the church. as early as the um, uh, you know, the second generation of Christians, like John the Apostle who knew Jesus, like he's, it's 80, like 85, 90. So it's not very long after the, the time of Christ uh, had, had died and risen from the dead. And there are teachers in the church that are just teaching heresy, stuff that's not right. And so we should not be surprised that thousands of years later, it's still going on today. And and so it's so important for us to be in love with the Word of God, because it is what God has ordained and inspired men through the inspiration and control of the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. Like we don't... We don't have the Bible and look at the Bible and go, oh, well, that's some dudes who wrote it and they love Jesus. No, that's not what's going on. God supernaturally used these men over a period of, of thousands of years to write the same story. Like like thousands of years in this, this harmony of the Old and New Testament. And, and God has preserved for us what his message to mankind is. And we can learn about who God is and we learn about who man is? It's not a historical document. It's a theological document about who God is—the the, the uh, monotheistic uh, God that we believe in, um, that, that that created the the earth, he created the heavens, he created humanity, and he says to us, like, this is what it means to be the kind of human that you're supposed to be, and, and we learn in it. That we can't get there by ourselves. It's a beautiful story of love that, that we see that God is reaching down. And, and we'll get to here in a couple of weeks that the scripture just plainly says that God is love. Now, our culture's so messed up that we think that a lot of people would say love is God. And those are two very different things. No, God is love, but love is not God. And so when we look at the scripture and we see that, that what God is doing is we meet the Lord, and when we meet him, he puts agape love in us. What is agape love? It is divine love. It is the love that God is. And when a person meets him, and they're born again, and God takes that agape love and he puts it in that person. So before that transaction takes place, when a person meets Christ and believes in Christ, and they go through that transformation of being born again, they do not have the agape divine love that happens when they meet Jesus. So we're interacting with people all the time that do not have the same ability to love because it is in, it's not in them. Does that make us better than them? No, it doesn't. It just makes us different. It's not based upon um, what we do and the way we love, it's based upon who we are and our, our ability to love. Like we're incapable of loving this way until God does, a, the Lord Jesus does a work in our lives and we're transformed by the indwelling of the Spirit. We are not capable of loving with agape love. Now, are we capable of loving? Sure, every human being is capable of loving. But this is a different type of love. And so if we're going to love life, we have to start with have we met Christ and, and do, we, do we know him? Have we come to know him in an experiential way that he's transformed us from the inside out and spiritually given us life? And so John shows us with this agape love as we get into the uh, 12th verse of chapter 2, he shows us how to let the love loose. Just cut it loose, man. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. We encounter this Jesus, these songs that we sing, and they're they're about this encounter with the Lord, and and they're they're designed to cause us to erupt because we have learned how to cut the love of God loose in our life because God is love, and God is in me. He indwells me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to love life, the secret of it is cutting that loose, man. Like, just let it go. And there are too many followers of Jesus who don't know how to let it go, man. And if you don't let it go, you know what? One of the most miserable things you can be on the planet is a person who believes in Jesus but doesn't know how to let it go. Like you, you, you're just conflicted all the time. You're trying to live between two domains. And so there is a, a habitat for us to live in that is not natural, it's supernatural, and when we learn about that habitat and how we're uniquely made new in Christ, and we function in the midst of the word having its way with us, we are learning how to cut things loose and and be the people of God and live in such ways that we just love life, and people are looking at us and going, man, there's something different about this, this individual. What is it? It is that we are so in tune with Jesus as the master of our lives that the outpouring of the agape love is just, it's just being poured in us. And it begins to make sense when Jesus taught as he was walking on the planet before his crucifixion, he said, I'm gonna make you a wellspring of life. And what he says is, is that when you follow me and you truly surrender and you learn how to cut loose, I'm going to put so much of me in you that it's going to spring out from within you. And other people's lives are going to be changed as a result of me being in you. And that's what the gospel is all about, is meeting Christ and him having that kind of uh, a rule in our lives. So John, in verses 12 through 14, we begin to see how we can let it loose. And so let's look there and read and, and see what he says in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you, dear children. Shall we get that? Remember, we talked about dear children um, a couple of weeks ago, little born ones. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John, here in this particular section of chapter two, he tells us the purpose of his writing. He says, look, I'm writing to you children, I'm writing to you young men, I'm writing to you fathers, and the purpose of his writing, when we begin to dig deep into the word, and let it say what it wants to say, is spiritual growth. Like, this is what we see in this particular passage of scripture, is that to love life, you must grow. You are never going to love life if you are a follower of Jesus who has met him, and you are not growing. Like I'm still growing, I've been growing for, for decades now and I'm, I'm still just growing, growing, growing and, and it is the reason for the love that is in me and the love for life that I have because in the midst of God's love being poured in me this thing called joy happens and, and this spiritual um, fruit is, is manifested in our lives and we just love life. Because we are, we are in the word and we're growing. And so the word is teaching us that to love life, we must be growing. Spiritual growth, when we look at it, say, what is spiritual growth? How do I know if I am growing? Well, spiritual growth is a process of becoming more spiritual and less carnal. What is carnality? Carnality is being in love with the physical stuff. So to grow spiritually is you become more in love with spiritual things than you do carnal things. The things of Christ interest you more than the things that you find that money can buy. And so it, it, it begins to, like this shift happens when you begin to live this stuff out in your life. It doesn't, like the, you begin to realize the stuff is enjoyed at a greater capacity When you have learned how to become more spiritual as opposed to carnal and your life is not consumed with the carnal physical stuff of the world, it is consumed with Jesus and it doesn't matter what kind of physical stuff you have, you are able to enjoy your experience because you are just walking with the Lord. And so when we look at this, there are levels of spiritual maturity and not all people are at the same level. Not all of us are at the same level. Now, does that mean that some of us are better than others? No, it just means that we're at different levels, just like we look at the physical development of a person. Some people are younger in life. Some people are infants. We have infants in the nursery today. We have kids down in the kids' city area. We have students that meet on Sunday night. We have young adults in the church who are just starting out in life. We have parents who are raising kids, and we have parents who have already raised kids so we have all these different levels of physical life where there are different levels of spiritual life, and it is okay to be at a different level. But it is not okay, hear me clearly, it's okay for us to be at different levels. It is not okay for us to be spiritually dormant, like not growing at all. If you are at a place where you are just stuck and not growing, then you're at a place that is not okay with the Lord. Failing to, uh, to grow completely contradicts the Lord's expectations for our lives. So Jesus, when we come into the kingdom and we meet him, Jesus has a certain amount of expectations for our lives, and that is that we begin growing, and that's what the following Jesus is all about, is that we're growing in our spirituality, and it is not okay for us to be dormant, and we will find ourselves being extremely miserable if we've come into the kingdom and we know the Lord and we've experienced him, but we're failing to grow, and so, again, John is dealing with heresy, that, that people are heretics in the church that are teaching stuff that is not what Jesus taught. It's not accurate. He's correcting that. He's trying to get these people back on track who are, have been influenced by them, and he's, he's saying to them, listen, you little children, like dear children, little born ones. He says, he's addressing them, and he's saying, this is how you can begin the process of loving life. Now, Here's something very important about spiritual growth is you're like taking inventory, and I hope you are. It's like where are you at spiritually and 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 how are you growing? It's not solely a matter of time. It doesn't mean that that you became a Christian and you gave your life to Jesus 20 years ago. It doesn't mean that you've changed levels at all. You may be at the very same exact level you are when you gave your life to Jesus 20 years ago. And so it, it you could be 60 years old and still be at the, um, the beginning level of your spiritual growth. And so it's not a matter of time. Um, some are not progressing as they, they should. And so uh, we look at this, and, and, and what are the levels? Well, the levels are like we look at this they're infant. Well, I'm going to couple infant and teen together infant, teen, child. Uh, they're young adult and their parent. He says to them, little children, dear, dear children. Now, we all start as infants. Now you're going to go, well, I thought you said, Jimmy, that, that, that little children meant little born ones, and he's addressing all of us. Now you're saying that it, it's a level in spiritual growth. This is very important. In verse 12, John uses the Greek word uh, technia, and it means little born ones. And so John is acknowledging that his readers are the offspring of God. That's pretty cool. Like When you become a little born one, like you, before you meet Jesus, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You do not know God. You do not have agape love. You do not have divine love in you. You cannot. You are not capable of loving like Jesus because He is not in you. And we're talking about an agape love. And so when you meet Jesus, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter three, if you want to study it yourself, unless a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. When you become one of the little born ones because God has initiated a call on your life, you felt the call of God in your life, you could feel God, the Lord, stirring in your life, he invites you to be one of his kids and you respond in the affirmative by laying down your life and saying, I'm not going to be Lord of my life anymore, Jesus, you are Lord, then this word um, technia is what John uses to describe little born ones, and he's acknowledging that when that happens, we are the offspring of God. Like If you know Jesus, you are the offspring of God himself. So there are two types of people in this world. Like This is what Christianity, the word, teaches us there are people who are kids of God and people who are not. Like you, th- th- There are people who are not in the family and there are people who are in the family. Now all are God's creation, but not all are God's children. And that's clearly what the scripture teaches us. How do we become children of God? Well, we have to be holy people. Well, how are you gonna get holy? And like how many showers does it take for you to be holy? How much money do you have to give to the kingdom before you are holy? How many poor people do you have to rescue before you are holy? See, we got a problem. You can't. Like, there's not enough. Holiness is a quality that belongs to God alone. And so in order for us to be holy, we must be covered by Christ. And when I become covered by Christ, I am... a I'm a child of God. That's what we've seen in the song. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of the king. Why? Because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. From what? Their sin. And made what? Holy and righteous and unblameable. They're children of God. And so John starts in verse 12 and he says little children and he uses technia to describe them. But in verse 14, notice this. He says it again. I write to you, dear children. Now, here's how cool the word of God is and how cool the Greek language is. He uses the word padia, and it's associated more with um, ignorance. Not ignorance like we would say, oh, you're ignorant, but ignorance in the fact of like you try to do something, you don't know how to do it, so you're just like, I'm ignorant in that subject. I don't know anything about it. And so here he uses the term Padilla, we get our, um, our word, uh, it, it, another word that it has its root in padilla is pedagogos, and it was someone who, who teaches, pedagogy, I think is how you say it. If you have a, a, an education background, you learn about this. It's, it's the teaching and instruction. And so he, he uses it here, and, and when we look at children and teens, okay, no slam on you if you're one of those in here today, okay, like so so my my kids, when I'm as I'm teaching you today, and you fall within this category, what we learn about is that people in this category, children and teens, we can learn from the physical experience. They function more on the basis of um, experience and emotions. Like, like if you if you if you watch kids and you're dealing with them. Um, and, and we think in terms of how children and teens function, they, be, they function on the basis of m- emotions. They get something, um, they don't get to do something like, like your, 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 your daughter. Faith's not in here, so I'll teach about her today. She might say, Well, I want to go with Ellie to such and such. We say, Well, you need to clean the ki- kitchen first. She looks over the kitchen and, oh, That's not right. That's not fair. So she's not she's not functioning on the basis of anything but emotions. She's just looking at her world, thinking about what she wants to do, thinking about where she's at and where she wants to go, and that kitchen is a mess, and it's not fair that she has to clean it, when in fact, it really is fair. Like, she gets to eat there, and she helped make it dirty. It is fair that you get to clean it. It's totally fair. And if you were functioning not like a child or teenager, you would see that, like, What's not fair is me and your mom have to clean it up when <laughs> we didn't make it, right? And so you, you, you see that this is what Paul is saying is that when he uses this different word, padilla, is he's saying, look, there are people in the kingdom who are at this level of being a child. And so uh, we, so he says, he says first, first of all, when he talks about spiritual growth, he says one level is being a child or a teen. The second thing he says is young men. Okay, so we're gonna take that and we're gonna use young adults. It would apply across um, uh, to both sexes, young adults. And so what does he say about young adults? Well, young adults are strong. Why are they strong? Because the word of God lives in them. And so the, the, the first level we have of, of coming into the kingdom is, is a person is either dead spiritually, like they, they're not even in the kingdom, they're not children of God, or they come in and now they're infant, child, teenager, okay? And so when they're in uh, the next phase, is he's, he talks about young adults. And, and what's different about the young adult is that the word of God lives in them and they are strong. And so there's a big difference. How do you know when you've moved from teen to adult? Now, so again, I've used my kids as an illustration today because they're mine. I paid for them and I can do that, right? But when we take, bring that apart to like all of us, remember Spiritual growth has nothing to do with time because it has nothing to do with how many years you've been on the planet or how long you've been going to church. You could have been going to church for six months and be already at a different level beyond infancy and teenager than than a person who's been in church for 60 years because The Word of God has taken hold of you. It lives in you. You've allowed it to live in you, and you've moved. And so how do you know? Well, one of the ways you know is that false doctrine doesn't interest you anymore. It makes you angry. Like when the Word of God gets in you, when you first meet the Lord, man, you're like, you're reading the Gospels, and you're like, Jesus, man, he's bringing people back from the dead, and the apostles were, too, I'm going out to the graveyard. That's emotion, man. The Word doesn't teach that we can do that. It teaches that there was a specific time that that Jesus did it and the apostles were able to do it on occasion. Why were they able to to do it? To authenticate that the message that they were writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could be trusted because normal human beings couldn't do that. God was supernaturally allowing his power to work through them so that we could trust the word of God. But emotionally, we just think, man, oh, well, if, if you know, whatever it is, like, uh, I'm just going to have faith, and I'm going to believe, and, and God's just going to do it. There's a, actually, there's a whole movement. It's called um, Word of Faith Movement. Name it and claim it. That is, a, a, like, I'm not saying that those people do not know the Lord, but I am saying that those people are functioning in the kingdom like children, not like young adults, because young adults do not do everything based off of emotion. And, and when they see something that is um, not right in Scripture, it makes them angry. It's because Why does it make them angry? Because the Word of God is living in them, and it's having its way inside of them. So you know you've moved from teen to adult. When false doctrine doesn't interest you, it makes you angry. You also know when you can explain your beliefs and back it up with the Word. When you can say, this is what I believe And you can take the Scripture and say, this is why I believe it. Now, some of you believe, and you believe because your parents believe. And you believe because maybe you trust me. You believe because your grandma was a believer, and you saw her, how incredible of a woman she was. As a matter of fact, you still have her Bible, and you believe based upon your emotional connection with that. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer, but it does mean that you are a baby or a child or a teen. Like, until you come to a place where you say, I believe, and this is why I believe, and you open up the word, and you can say, man, I know that the word is in me. It's living in me, and I can explain to you my beliefs, and that's why it's important for us to read the word and, and, and have a, a time where we're in the word and so that the Holy Spirit can do his job. You know what, what part of his job is? Is to teach us the word, to help us to understand it, and so as we read it, we're moving beyond, and we're beginning to function like young adults as opposed to um, children and so you can explain your beliefs. You can back it up with word, uh, with the word. And here's here's like the big one, man. It's that you know you've moved from teen to adult when you outgrow your emotions and you allow them to guide you as opposed to the way you feel. Like when the word is guiding you, you have be- moved beyond childhood. You have moved beyond being a-, a teenager, being rebellious. You are now functioning as a young adult. Um, children and teens are, are generally concerned with their own needs, adults or not. They're concerned with the needs of the others. And so we have children, teen, we have young adult. The difference between the child and the teen is, is that, and again, does not mean that you, you can be a teenager and be a young adult spiritually? Okay? That's the cool thing. And, and what determines that is, is the word of God living in you and getting its way and guiding you as opposed to the way you feel about things? The third category he uses is fathers. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, fathers. So, the difference between a parent and a young adult is that parents have not only allowed the word of God to get in them and work and guide them, they allow God to work as they disciple spiritual kids. The difference between a parent and a young adult is that a young adult spiritually has come to an understanding. A lot of times they want to debate and they want to, like, they want to show you how much they know about the scripture. But what we need to understand is what is the Lord asking me to do? And the the, uh, the parent has figured out how to sit with the Lord as the word lives in him and the spirit convicts him over things that he wants him to do in the positive and things he wants him to avoid in the negative and he begins to listen to the Holy Spirit as Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep, what? They know my voice, they listen to me. They follow me. So the parent is one who is in connection with the Lord reads the word, has the word living in them, and they're practicing the word, and so parents are allowing God to work as they disciple, um, and, and share what God is doing in their lives, and so, so, so parents, like, they are, um, they, they are they're, they, they've come to a place where they know if the Lord is not at work in my life, I cannot enjoy life. You want to know why I'm in ministry today? not because I love to preach man I I began to figure out like what it meant to be a teenager and a child. In the first 10 years of my life in the faith, I was living like a rebellious teenager. And I immediately let started reading the Word at 22 and started seeing things that I'd never seen before. And the Word of God came alive in me. And as it came alive in me, I let it come out. It started guiding me and affected my decisions. I didn't need somebody to tell me that I shouldn't be doing this and I should be doing that, that I should not uh, That I should start going to church, that I should start giving. Nobody had to tell me that. Man, the Word got a hold of me, shook me up, and I knew that God was leading me in that direction, and so as that happened, I was just listening, and and God was starting to do a work in my life, and I just kept reading the word, and it kept having its way, and I started sharing with others, and that started to be a natural uh, outpouring of my life, and then I got up and preached one day, and this came out, and I was like, what the heck just happened? The word was having its way in me, and so like I'm here today, and I'm teaching you. Why? Because like, the Lord is moving in my life, and I yielded to that because I figured out early on in my 20s that the greatest satisfaction I could have in life was God working through me. And so now, like, the same person like uh, that I was when I was 22 is now yielded to the Lord, and the Lord is using me and working through me. And so what I'm constantly trying to get people to realize who are in the kingdom is, If you let God work through you, if you get over yourself and you understand God wants to do something through you and you let him do it, you are going to love your life. But as long as you fight and resist that, you are not going to be content because you are a child of God living like someone who does not know him. And so, so we look at this and we see that, that uh, kids delight in spirit experience, young adults in understanding, but parents delight in God. And so spiritual growth, this is really important. Spiritual growth is not a mystical process. It's not where we go, oh, that's yoga. That's Middle Eastern thought. Like spiritual growth is I'm going to get in a word. I'm going to talk to the Lord and I'm going to do what he says and I'm going to start Growing. And if you're not doing that, you are not meeting the expectations that God has for your life as He has made you one of His kids. And so you don't do it to, to please God, you do it to figure out who you are in Jesus, and so that you can love life and be filled to the point of becoming a wellspring. And so to love life, you must be growing. But to love life, we must also hate say, what? (laughs) Like, I thought God was love. Yeah, but God, there's, there are things in the world that God hates. Like, he despises. Let's look at verse um, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what's John trying to say to us? He's saying to us, to love life, you must be in the world and not of it. Okay, you got to be in the world, but not of the world. The Bible uses the word world a lot, and it has different meanings. Generally, there are three types of meanings for the word world. It comes from the word cosmos, and it means one planet, the creation. God created the world, okay? In the beginning, God created the cosmos, okay? So that's, that's everything around us. The second way that it uses the word cosmos is people. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. And so, so, so cosmos is used for planet, for people, and then the third way is system. It's a system in which um, it's talked about. Look at, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, as for you, now just think of everything I've taught you this morning. I know I'm taking some time, but hey, I'm trying to educate you and let you love life, okay? You need to be right with the Lord. But watch this, in light of everything I've just said. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What did I say? A person either knows God or they don't. They're either child of God or they're not. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you're outside of the kingdom. You're dead in your sins and transgressions. In which you used to live when you followed what? The ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so what is, what is John teaching us? He's teaching us that the world, when it's used in that context, Brent talked in worship today, like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, don't be conformed to the world. There's that word, cosmos, but be transformed. And so when that is used in that context, it is a system like the world of sports. Amen? We love the world of sports. The world of politics. That's a system of thought. And so this way, when we see it in the Bible this way, that's the difference. So we are to love creation, we are to love people, but we are to hate the system. We, uh, and, and we see that love and hate go together. If you're going to love something, you have to hate everything that's opposed to it. If I'm going to love my wife, I have to hate anything that would be, uh, that would harm her. And if I'm going to have the love of God in me, and I'm going to let the agape love grow and influence me and help me to live the life that I'm supposed to live, that I will love, then I have to hate everything that's opposed to that. And John is saying there is a system out there that is opposed to the system of God, and it is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. And he says to us, we are to hate it. We don't love it because it is our enemy. That's the first thing there is an enemy now every time you are tempted it does not mean that the devil is coming and tempting you but it does mean that you are living in the world that has a system that is controlled by the devil himself like remember the temptation of Jesus the first thing? one of the things he did is he took him up on a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world all of the world systems that he was controlling and he said if you bow down and worship me I will give you these it was the system And so, so the enemy is behind the system. And so we don't love it because of what it is, it is our enemy. We don't love it because who we are. Who are we? We're the family of God. We are the little born ones who have come to know him and experienced him. And so now we are children of Christ, and we don't love the system that belongs to the enemy. What does it do? It causes us to sin. We look there, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And so we do not love it because it causes us to sin. And we do not love it finally because where is it headed? Where is it headed? It's headed to a different destiny than our- ourselves. It says the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God, what? Lives forever. The world system does not has the same destination that the believer in Christ has. So anything in our lives that causes us to lose the enjoyment of the Father's love or our desire to do the Father's will is worldly and must be avoided. Like you gotta recognize it and go, that. whoa, that's part of the system, man. I gotta stay away from that. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to steal away from my life. Remember what Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, destroy. But I've come that you might have what? Zoe, life abundantly in this world system that is constantly trying to, to rob you. Let me show you how this works. You remember the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are the same things. that we got the first human beings. It was written by an author thousands of years before in the Garden of Eden. It got Adam and Eve in trouble. The lust of the flesh appeals to our normal appetites and tempts us to satisfy them in forbidden ways. Like when you become a believer, your flesh doesn't die. Paul teaches us this, okay? In Galatians, you can read all about it. And in Ephesians, he talks about is that the flesh is still a part of who we are, but we're trying to die to our old man so that the new man can live in us. And so the, the lust of the flesh works against us. So every time we cater to the flesh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a good angel and a bad angel on my shoulder. It just means that your flesh loves stuff. And if you don't control your flesh through the power of the Spirit, you're going to find yourself going down roads that are going to lead to a lot of pain um, and, and distance between you and the Lord. And so hunger is not evil. Like, there's nothing evil about being hungry, right? Some of you are hungry right now and say, I wish you would shut up so I could go eat. Right? Hunger is not evil. But if you sit down and you eat a whole tub of ice cream, you are a glutton. That's what the Bible says. Like you're eating beyond being hungry and beyond simple, like letting yourself have a little pleasure. You're eating a whole bucket and your body can't take it, and your health is not good any longer. And it is because you have performed you have just engaged in the lust of the flesh and you are living out the sin of gluttony in your life. Come on, Lord. Amen on that one. My face is so fat I need to go. <laughs> so, the, the, hunger is not gluttony, but it, it is sinful. Thirst is not evil, but drunkenness is called sin. Like, thirst is not an evil thing, but drunkenness is clearly laid out in Scripture that it is sin. Sleep is a gift, but laziness is shameful. Sex is a gift from God when used rightly within the context of marriage. It is not when it is outside of marriage. Like, that's what the Bible teaches. Like, it's this wonderful gift. There's nothing wrong with sex. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) But outside of the the bonds of marriage, like, the Bible clearly teaches that that it's, it's supposed to happen in marriage. Between a man and a woman, I don't have time to get into that. The second device is the lust of the eyes. You Ever said feast your eyes on this? Like the eyes, man, are the window to the soul. So pleasures that gratify sight and mind, lust with the eyes and the flesh will soon follow. They say, man, I'm having trouble. I can't get away from like I can't get away from uh, like watching like porn. But yet you go to movies that set you up to go right down that path. You listen to music all the time. You've already, like the Lord has already shown you, you're really weak in your flesh. You need to be careful what comes across the windows of your eyes because it'll lead you down with your flesh into a road that will cause problems in your life. And so you have to be careful with the lust of the eyes. And then the one that gets uh, more, I think, than any other in America is the pride of life. What is the pride of life? It is what we have and what we do. Look at how much stuff I have and look at how successful I've been. That's the pride of life. And so John is saying, man, you gotta be aware of this system because you're living in it and the old man is there and he is prone to like it. And it will feed you, and you have to resist it and hate it and draw near unto the Lord and love the Lord. And so John is saying we, uh, we must be people who are in the world but not of the world. And so we're really careful about how we live and what we do and where we go. Not because we're trying to be good people, but because we're children of God. And we realize that life is like the Lord is wanting to do something amazing in our lives, and we let him have his way. And so uh, here's the deal. It's good for a boat. To be in the water it's bad for water to be in the boat right like we, we borrowed a men's shave borrowed a fishing boat from a guy we cleaned that thing up man little john boat been sitting for 10 years we got it out on the water and that thing had holes all over the bottom he's messing with our fishing and so what we did is we tried to fix it a little bit. We didn't know where all the holes were, but this is like get, it wasn't sinking, but it sure was making things a lot messier than they should have been. Our feet were getting wet and stuff, but we were still catching fish, but we had to fix that. So here's what we did. I got a little generator, one of them little Honda generators, and I got a pump. And we put the pump in the boat with the generator, and every time the water got in their boat, we just fired up the generator and put it right back out. That's a very great illustration for repentance. It's like when you see the, the, the system of the world getting in you, you need to repent and get it out, okay? Or ultimately, you're going to sink your life and be miserable, okay? And so we, that's one illustration of how, how, how we're supposed to function. And so the big idea is the world is not a natural habitat for the believer. If you're a believer, like the world in which we're living, we're to love the people. We're to love creation, man, all that God has given us. But the system that the enemy is behind, we got to watch out for that thing because it is trying to take us out. And so the world is not a natural habitat for the believer. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 as I land this thing. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where our citizenship comes from. Our resources for living on earth come from our Father in heaven. And when it comes to living this life on a daily basis, we're like scuba divers, man. Living in an underwater world, and if we're going to navigate and enjoy it, that you put on the scuba gear, like, man, if you've ever been scuba diving in beautiful waters in the Caribbean, it's an amazing experience. It's one thing to look down with a snorkel and look at all that. It is another thing to strap a tank on your back and go down for 30 or 40 minutes. Like, like every, it's just amazing. And you're living in a habitat like you've got everything you need to be able to survive in that habitat and enjoy it. That's what it's like for the believer living in the world system is that we have to have the word, man. We have to have um, the word in our lives living in us and making us strong. We have to have the people of God around us that we're doing life with. That's why Jesus gave us the church. We have to be talking to the Lord in prayer. We have to be ministering to others. We're doing up, we're doing in with each other, and we're reaching out to the world. And when we're doing that, man, the Lord is like, he's given us everything we need to live in a world that belongs to the devil. Now, that system is passing away. <laughs> ah, I hey, be careful about this one. I might preach another hour if I get started on this. Jesus is coming back to claim it. <laughs> He's coming back. He's coming back to take it, man. He's like, this system is yours no longer. And, and, and the citizens of his kingdom will occupy it. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.